hello and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Discovery Point Church. I hope every one of you had a very happy Thanksgiving and we're going to finish up the book of Ruth today and we'll be done with it. Today's message, I'm calling it from foreigner to favor and you'll see why just in a minute. It's Ruth chapter 4 verses 13 through 22 and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. Be with me as I present and we just commit this into your hands in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth and became his wife. And so we see an evolution that takes place through this whole book. Ruth chapter 2, verse 10 says this, so she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And so She's first called a foreigner. She sees herself as a foreigner. And Boaz sees her as a foreigner. And so you're going to see a progression as we go through this of how she's, she, she is seen. Uh, Ruth 2.13 says this. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not one of your maidservants. So she's now known as a maidservant, but she calls herself out as the least of all the maidservants. And so there's a progression taking place from foreigner to the least of all maidservants. Ruth 3.9 says, And he said, Who are you? And so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. So again, the progression moves. From foreigner to the least of the maidservants to maidservant. And so, Ruth 4.13, the beginning of our text, says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And there's the progression from foreigner down into favor, but from foreigner to his wife. And so... It says, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, there's a lot playing out here, because remember, she came, she was a Moab, from Moabite, and she came back because her husband had died, which was one of the sons of Naomi. Naomi's husband had died, and so they were left without any males to take care of them, and so Naomi felt it was time to go back to Israel. And so... Most likely, there was a 10-year window there that they were there. How many years she was married to him, we don't know. Um, But it was years, and they had no children. And here you see God's favor on Boaz and Ruth. They get married, and they instantly, she conceives, and she bore a son. And so, he was a baby who was a gift from God. The Lord gave her conception, 
and she bore a son. So you see, when she was married, in Moab, a lot of years went by. There was no children. I wouldn't say she was barren. The Bible doesn't say that she was barren. But there was a time period where there was no children born. And, and, and because of divine favor, God has her, has her conceived and her first child is a son. And so that's very important to, to realize. So, then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. So now she has this child. And we know there's two things you can talk about here as Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, didn't leave her without someone to be there for, and also for this child. And so, and most likely what's going on is that the author describes what was probably the day of the child's presentation. And you can see that in Leviticus chapter 12. We're not going to get into that today. But there's a whole thing that transpires when this baby is... It's like what we do when we dedicate a baby to the Lord. And so the, the song of blessing by the older women of the community who had known Naomi before her loss and widowhood, they now reveal, revel with her in the complete reversal of her state. She is now happy. She is not saying, call me Mara, which meant bitter. She's no longer bitter at God. Um, she's blessed, and she, she is happy and with, with all that has transpired. And so, he was a baby who would provide for Naomi. See, in that culture, the women didn't work. There was, they were home. They were homemakers. They had the children. And there's not the cultures around the world today. You see this same exact thing. It, it, it is male-dominated in the workplace. So, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And so, very important. This baby then was the tangible evidence that God had not abandoned Naomi. This baby was the reason why Naomi could now press from despair to joy. Or what she called herself, don't call me Naomi, which meant pleasant. Don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara. And now she's went from being called Mara back to being Naomi. She now has joy. He was a baby who would be significant to the future of Israel. And that's why it says, may his name be renowned in Israel. Verse 15 of the text says, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Let's talk about Ruth. So now there's this, there's this child that's now there that as Naomi faces her old age, this child will be able to take care of his grandmother. So in a sense... This child was the difference between life and death for Naomi. When she returned to Bethlehem from Moab, her prospects were bleak, to say the least. Being a destitute widow with a tag-along foreign daughter-in-law at this time in history was not ideal. But now through this baby Naomi, they would have someone to care for her in her old age. And so that's why she was so happy about all this. Next slide, please. Then Naomi took the child and laid him 
on her bosom and became a nurse to him. So grandma's now taking care of this child. It's going to be a blessing. This child is going to be there as the one to fill the gap of the death of her husband. That was a part of that culture um, that they, they did that. And so this is a marvelous demonstration of what God can do through one poor woman who gets right with him. Because remember, she was angry. When all this transpired, she's coming back. She was a very angry person, and she was angry at God. Verse 17 says, Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they shall call him Obed. Obed means servant, but most likely it was defined as servant of God. And so he is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, who became king of Israel. And so what a blessing, what a place to be in the lineage of that family. And David had descendants. And the descendant, the ultimate king, is King Jesus. So we see Ruth 4, 18 through 22. And we're going to talk about this for a few minutes. It's all the who begat who type thing. But there's more to this story than meets your eyes. Verse 18 says this. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Aminadab. And Aminadab begat Nashon. And Nashon begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz. And Boaz begat Obed. And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. It's in the story, but it's not talked about. So, see why they start with Perez and end with David. There's a lot going on here. In this storyline, the story of Judah and Tamar. And that's verse 12. That's where Gregory, Pastor Gregory, ended last week on verse 12. And it's talking about Tamar and Jacob. Excuse me, Judah. And so as this story progresses, there's something at play here that's in the story. It's there. But it's not spoken. There's, there's ten generations here from Perez to King David. And the ten is because Deuteronomy 23, 2 says, One illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And you see in the Tamar and Judah story, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. Judah had a son, Er, E-R. Er was wicked. And God did not want him in the lineage of his son. And so Judah got Er to marry Tamar, and God struck him dead. So now Judah goes to his 
younger son, younger than heir, Onan, but he's a man, and he says, you take Tamar as your wife, you produce a child for your brother so there's not a gap in this lineage, because that's what they did in those days. And Onan said, okay. But he thought about it, and he did not want to produce a child with her. Because if he produced a child with her, that child would be in the lineage and not him. That child would be representing the, where Ur that died would be filling that gap. And so all the inheritance would go to this child that was produced by Onan and Tamar, but none of the blessing and none of it would come back to Onan because it was filling in for Ur. And so... I'm not going to go into the total story of the why. I'll give you the scripture. You can look it up. It's Genesis chapter 38 if you want to read the whole story yourself. But I'll just say that Onan made sure that even though he was with Tamar, that they would not produce a child. And this angered God, and God struck him dead. There's a lot dying in this family. So now Tamar's in a very strange place because now her, her second husband's dead in this family. So she's in this family. There's a younger son. He's just a, a, a young boy. He's not a man yet. And his name was Shalon. And Shalon was the next in line. So Tamar goes back to her family to wait for this son to grow up. He becomes a man that she, she can marry him and hopefully produce a child. Well, time goes by. Years go by. Shalon's a young man. But Judah doesn't bring him over to say, marry her and, and produce the child, he, he doesn't do anything. Well, Judah's wife dies. They're now taking the animals to be sheared. And Tamar says, this, I'm stuck. I can't remarry. I can't do anything but wait. And he hasn't done this. He should have done this by now. So she takes off her widow clothes, which is all black. She dresses like a prostitute, puts a scarf across her face so she's not known. And she goes down to where they're shearing the sheep and she hangs out there. And guess what? Judah comes to her and says, I want to be with you. And she says, what are you going to give me? He says, I'll give you a goat. I don't have it here. I'll have to go get one and bring it back. We're shearing the sheep, but I'll have a goat that I'll have brought back. And she basically said to him, well, in the meantime, I want to hold your signet ring and your staff. I want to hold on to these things. And I'll give them back to you when you bring me my goat. She said, he said, sure, I'll do that. 
And in the storyline, she goes back home. She goes home, gets out of all that garb, goes back and puts her widow clothes on. And he comes back looking for her and can't find the prostitute. His ring, his signet ring of the family is gone and the staff is gone. And he's trying to find her. The people say, there was no harlot here. And word came to him that his daughter-in-law was pregnant. And I find this amazing. They, produce, they go to her and they said, you've played the part of a harlot. In that time period, if you play the part of a harlot, they'll take you out and stone you to death. And she says, wait a minute. Are you sure? I just want to make sure. And she brings out the signet ring and the staff to her father-in-law, Judah, and says, this is the man that got me pregnant and hands it to him. Can you imagine? And so it produced, it produced Perez. That's the child. Perez translates breach, so most likely he's a breach baby. Um, and there's a little more at play here. We'll pick it back up. But this was not right for her to do this. But it wasn't right for him to not take Shell on and have them get married because she was stuck. And she would just kind of forever could not marry, would never be able to produce children. But by what she did, she produced in the tribe of Judah the next line, which is Perez. And that's now from the father-in-law. So father-in-law became daddy to that boy. But it's because of the sin of that that God says that you cannot come and be a part of the house of the Lord for ten generations. And that covers it perfectly from Perez to King David. He became king of Israel. It couldn't have been nine. He couldn't have been anywhere else. He had to be ten because none of the rest could be a part of it because of what the, the sin did. And you see in Genesis 49.10, it says this, talks about Judah and that line. It says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, Whose right hand, and I even put this in brackets, says whose right hand is, is to reign. That's what Shiloh translates, means. We also translate that as Messiah. We see that as Messiah. And that's found in Ezekiel 21, 27. And so they're talking about Messiah. And there's different words they can use for that. But it really translates the best from Ezekiel 21, 27, where that word Shiloh is translated, he whose right it is to reign comes. They're talking about Jesus. And it's amazing that how that played out because the Bible says very clearly that Jesus is going to come from the tribe of Judah. But there's another problem here because Judah is not the firstborn. He's the fourthborn of Jacob. The firstborn is Reuben. He's the one that should inherit everything. But he didn't. And the reason why he didn't, because as a young man, he slept with his father's concubine. And when, when Jacob found out about it, he said, Reuben, you're, you're no longer the first in line. You forfeit that right. 
Next in line was Simeon and Levi, two and three. Their sister Dinah gets raped, and those two boys go to avenge her rape. Instead of just going to the person that did it and confronting him and taking care of it, they set up a sequence of things in Shechem where they killed every last male in that city, which was a wicked thing to do, but they thought they were justified because of what happened to their sister. And so Jacob tells those two, your wickedness has disqualified you from this lineage. So now the lineage is down to the fourth son, Judah, and that's why it ends up like this. And that's why it says in the 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Judah is the line that will bring the kings of Israel. But you say, Pastor Ron, that can't right, be right because there was a king before King David. Yes, King Saul. And God allowed that to happen because the people wanted a king and they were not willing to wait till for God's timing. So God allowed it to be. But he didn't come from the tribe of Judah, what God says is the only line for being a king. He came from the line of Benjamin. He was a Benjamite, and so he was never a legitimate king. And that's not talked about enough. And so here we are. And it says, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. To who? Shiloh, Messiah. And so as we see this lineage, it breaks out a little more in Matthew. I'm going to take a, a, expand it a little bit um, that you see in that same line. In Matthew chapter 1, you see the whole lineage again from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And it's worth reading through. But there's a couple of things that transpire here. And it's, and it's amazing. Matthew 1.3 says, Judah begat Perez and Zerah. By Tamar. They were twins. But there's only the one boy that fell in the line of the lineage. For Zerah, he was so close yet so far. He didn't make it. He was a twin brother to Perez, but Perez was in the line. Perez and Zerah were the twins born to Tamar by Judah. And that was the sin that made him now had to wait ten generations before they could have a king. And Perez begat Hez. Hezron and Hezron begat Ram. So there it goes. It starts showing the lineage of what's going on. And so it points to the sin here, but it doesn't call it out in the storyline. So Matthew 1.5 says, And Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Let's stop here for a minute. There's, there's a lot right here. Salmon begot Boaz. He's the one that's marrying Ruth. His mother was Rahab, the prostitute. Boaz's mother was a prostitute, the Old Testament. We don't have time to do that whole story, but if you want to read that story, it's Joshua chapter 2, and you can read the whole storyline. How the kings, how the spies came in um, out of the tribe of Israel that was out wandering in the desert, and they sent him in. It was a time they were coming into Jericho. They were going to soon take this whole thing over, and Rahab hid the, the God's men. They had no place to go. The city was shutting down for the night. They had no place to go. She had a house of prostitution, and she took them in, and they hid in the house. Spent the night. 
But in this lineage, God did this directly for a reason. Boaz's, Boaz took a lot of heat growing up for all your mother used to be a prostitute. A lot of ridicule, a lot that God used to thicken him up to be able to be tough enough to take it. And why was he doing that? Because he was preparing him for the day that he would bury his wife. And his wife was Ruth, which is a Moabite, which was thought as about, about as much about a Moabite was no good. They said these are not good people. And so he had to take a lot of flack for it. And God prepared him to be able to handle that flack, having his mother Rahab the prostitute. I find that amazing. And they had a child, Obed, which is servant of God, by Ruth. And so we see that God's hands all over this story in history. You know, in all of our lives, we, you know, we, we have our families and we have our own lineage, but we don't really take it that much to how it all plays out in God's plan. Uh, there's a quote that I'm going to end with, and it was, it's written by Leon Morris. He's a theologian out of Australia. Uh, he died in 2006. He was a great man of God, and, uh, but not well known here in this country because he was, again, from down under. But he had this to say on this story, and I thought I would like to read this and end with this. That God's hand is all over history. God works out his purpose generation after generation. Limited as we are to one lifetime, each of us sees a little of what happens. A genealogy is a striking way of bringing continuity of God's purpose through the ages. The process of history is not happenstance, haphazard. There is a purpose to it all, and the purpose is the purpose of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in Ruth. And be able to show the Boaz-Ruth connection as our connection between Jesus Christ and his church. And we just thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing and all that you've done. And Lord, as we conclude this, may we be up and about your business and be able to lift up Jesus Christ to the world around us. And we realize that none of this is happening by chance, but your divine purposes are being fulfilled in and through us. We commit this into your hands, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you, and God bless you.